welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. Yeah, the drives are working really well. So I've got one three terabyte disc um, that is pretty much loaded up with my Blu-ray collection that I've spent the last year or so slowly ripping to back it up. How uh, have you been ripping those? Uh, using Make MKV. Oh, okay. And I've got a, like a USB Blu-ray disc drive that I've just had hanging around for, I don't know how long, but yeah, um, that's been ripping away. And obviously, when you rip a Blu-ray, it's huge. So yeah. That, so that really takes up a lot of space. I mean, to give you some context, one film i done the other day was like 42 gig, I think it came out at. <laughs> Must be one of these like right. dual layer Blu-ray discs or something it was on. Um, yeah. And then I have to handbrake that to sort of bring it into some kind of sensible sensible file size. Um, yeah, gen- and even then you're still probably talking, what, like five or six gig? Oh, at least. Yeah, some, some of them. It's weird. Some some of them compress better than others. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's funny if you've got a film that's kind of uh, mostly like the same colour all the way through. So if it's like a lot of it's shot at night, that'll compress really well. Because you've got a lot of colours, it can like sort of group together in the compression. I'm yeah. guessing. Um, yes, exactly that. You see this? Um, I've seen this with uh, VJ clips actually. Um, so yeah, black and white clips will compress down really nicely, um, and then like you say, anything with a lot of lot of colour going on, um, a lot of quick changes, the file sizes start going up and up. Yeah, because I suppose you've got like the colour compression per frame, and then. You've got the, is it temporal compre- compression? Yep. Where things are compressed over a series of frames. So if, if say, like this is like an object that doesn't move over, say, 15 frames, that would be yep. somehow put into compression. It's fascinating. I'd like to know more about it. Um, the way I understand it with, with the MP4 format is that you have, um, they call them I-frames and P-frames. And I think it's the P, f- one way around or the other, that the P-frame, I think, is your keyframe where you sort of get a full download of pretty much everything. And then the iframes, I think, are the sort of like interstitial frames where you get bits of information depending on what's changed. Depending on how you compress it, depends on how many of the, the sort of full keyframes that you have. I think typically it's something like you get one full frame a second okay. on, like some, on a lot of the standard preset compressions. So it's like every... If it's 24 frames a second, you get a, a keyframe every 20, like every 23. So it's on, on the beginning of each, each second. But I, I ran into some of this sort of testing Go VJ for a little while um, because that's exactly the reason why I can't play clips backwards when they're MP4 encoded. <laughs> because <laughs> certainly at the time, when I, when I first started developing it, and you're talking like my phone at the time was a, um, a 5S, and the 4 and the 4S were still sort of in common use. Yeah, playing clips backwards. AV Foundation will try. It'll give it a go. Um, but yeah, unless the, the, the video file itself is all keyframes, then it just can't keep up because it has to, as you're going backwards, it has to queue up all of the information that built that frame. And so it has to sort of read backwards on itself. And it's, uh, the, the flow is fully optimized to read playing forwards because that's you know like 99.99999% of, of the use case mjpeg 
format, which is literally just a container um, that's then full of lots of JPEGs, is by def it's it's by definition a, a fully keyframed format. Um, and so MJPEG encoded MOVs, um, I could play backwards beautifully in Go VJ. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I've ever had much call to get that into it. Um, in my case, it's kind of like you rip an MKV and then you compress it in handbrake, and that's that's the end of it, really. But it seems yeah. to work. I mean, it all gets chucked into into Plex. So Plex is installed on my iMac, and then Plex kind of chucks it around my network. So if I want to get it on the Apple TV or, or whatever, then I can do that. Yeah, I mean, I say all of my Blu-ray collections backed up. A lot of it is DVD because that's where the right. bulk of it is. Just going back, and they were that's the reason what kind of prompted me to start backing up was the fact that they were getting old and they were getting scratched, and it was kind of like there was one or two that had kind of dropped off because, yeah, they were just damaged. And I thought, right, okay, yeah, this is becoming like a pattern. Some of the older ones are starting to that have been used more and you, know, you lend them to friends and they come back and it's, they get damaged and dinged up. Um, yep. Which I guess the lesson I'm, there is don't lend your stuff to friends. <laughs> Especially things like then, DVDs. But. I don't know. I mean, that, that's like, you know, the biggest benefit of, of a physical medium, isn't it? Um, I had that when, when we were moving again as well in terms of like you sort of realise where all the gaps are. So I realised that I'd lent out, I think, two or three books that... I would have quite liked back, but we didn't have time enough to go through that level of sort of social awkwardness. And I kind of had to just sort of go, right, okay, well, at least I've been enjoyed and they are wherever they are. And when I actually want to read those books again, I'll either download it on Kindle and buy it again, or I'll find a copy somewhere. I'll, I'll buy a copy here, you know. Mm. Um, although, to be honest, it's actually a lot cheaper to just order from somewhere like Book, book Depository. And get it shipped all the way from the UK to New Zealand. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it is actually. Books are, are pretty expensive here comparatively. There's a couple of books I got my eye on, and and I kind of like a, an actual book. Call me old fashioned. I, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't. I can't reconcile parting with like twenty quid for an ebook. I don't know why. It just seems like it seems like too much for so little. Even I know it's the same content, and I know the author still had to write it. I can't reconcile it. It's just odd really odd <laughs> i can't I, I can't reconcile paying physical book prices for digital books because there's a whole whole load there a, a whole load of infrastructure there that is just not going on yeah i think that's probably where a lot of it comes from it's like i know this is like just some server spitting out a file to me like there's no yep. printing there's no people that have to pack it and you know bind the book together and you know all that stuff um so yeah no i do kind of resent paying book prices for digital books but I do actually quite like digital books. So yeah, I'd, I'd read read through Kindle first on my iPad um, before I think about sort of grabbing the physical book. I think um, what I've found it really good for in the past has been reading things like um, comics, like CBR files, um, or even like the Marvel comic app is, is quite good. The ones that they've brought into the the Marvel Unlimited platform, if you've got, if you read them on an iPhone, for example, where you've not got the sort of real estate, then it does this kind of smart panning through the panels of the comic book, which is really, really quite cute. No, I, I kind of read my way through all the stuff I really wanted to read through, and then subscription became a bit useless really at that point. So mm. another couple of years, a load more uh, stories will have built up because obviously they're month by month. 
Um, and then I'll probably have a subscription again for six months and read my way through. <laughs> I just started my um, six-month Apple Music trial, actually, that I got yesterday with my phone contract. So I'm, yeah. I'm back on Apple Music <laughs> again. Ah. This is like the third is or fourth time. Is that you switching now. from Spotify? Well, I mean, I've got a Spotify account that's free, and I've got yep. the, I've got it on my dock. I sometimes click it. I'll, I'll sometimes play something, but I don't really listen to it properly. So yeah, but it came free with my phone contract, so I figured I'd just take it. Oh, cool. Be interesting to know how you get on. I'm super pleased with that contract as well because I'm paying a pound less than I was. And I'm getting five times as much data and Apple Music for six months. <laughs> yeah, had some people from like America on Twitter say like, wow, that's like super cheap. And I did notice it when I was out in America, how expensive that kind of stuff was. Yeah. Um, just like internet, it, it, cable. It is here as well, really. Is it? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm paying, I'm paying $30 a month, which is about equivalent roughly to £15. Um, and I get... I get three gig of data inside of that. I don't know whether that sort of stacks up as being good or not anymore. Um, well, like I say, I was paying eighteen pounds until yesterday for two gig yeah. of data, um, and I took that contract out just about when you got your iPhone seven. Okay. Um, there's a tw- yeah. it was a twelve month SIM only uh, plan, and it's been sort of out of contract now for the last several months just because I couldn't be bothered to do anything with it. Um, yep. and he quite often have um, special offers that run throughout the year yep. and when I last checked back in was it February the January sale had just finished so it was like in a dead spot for offers so I thought well I'll, yep. I'll hang on and then sure enough like a couple of days ago a load more offers came out and I was like sweet here we go do it and yes yeah, so I'm on another 12 month <laughs> plan now with 10 gig of data which is pretty cool oh, fair enough I do seem to be gobbling up more data when we go away now possibly partly due, due to this uh, podcast because quite often if we go away and I take all my stuff with me the wi-fi wherever I seem to go isn't usually that great um, quite often it's just better to jump on the 4g and and just yeah. go at it from that angle equally I just go on my phone way more when we're away I'm quite bad at just being that guy sat in the corner on his phone I probably should probably should address that but no I, I can relate uh, certainly when we were um, traveling from Leicester all the way up across the country to visit family in the north of England um, you know, I, I would end up using my, my data in the same sort of way. Um, not because I'm completely antisocial, <laughs> um, but it's just like, I, I, you don't realize how often you use stuff incidentally anyway, when you're on your home Wi-Fi, And yep. then I think when you're away and then you're aware it's clocking up on 3g or 4g, um, munching out of your data allowance, then, you know, you're exposed to sort of how much incidental use you really do. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite shocking last time we were away because I ran out of data, and it was like, "But don't worry, they sent me a text saying, don't worry, you can um, you can buy some more for six pounds." I was like, "Oh, okay, yep. six pounds," and that got me five hundred meg. I was like, well, "That's quite expensive," but <laughs> I was like, "The Wi-Fi here yeah. is like point eight of a meg, and I, I need something." So I bought it. Um, I wanted to download some podcasts for the way home. Yeah, because uh, it was like an eight-hour drive to get home. And there was a load, there was like a new ATP, a new talk show. I was like, right, if I can get those downloaded onto the phone, then I know I've got something for the drive home. <laughs> and I started <laughs> downloading them and I went onto Twitter and jumped onto Slack and a few other places. And then within almost like 20 minutes, it's like, ding, ding, all your, all your data's gone. gone again. I was like, what? I've yeah. just paid six quid for that. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Oh man, it's easy, easily done. Yeah. Easily done. I, I rinsed um, a load of my data allowance the other day, um, yesterday, because we drove about an hour and 15 minutes out from here. This is one of the main sort of state highways out that takes you over these hills called the Rimatukas. And the road itself is sort of really quite windy and you're on the side of sort of like sheer drops, you know, like one false move. If you take a corner too fast or whatever, you could be over the side. And I was kind of a bit sort of like, well, okay, I'm a bit nervous about this. Um, I need to just put some music on. And before we'd set off, um, I sort of started up a playlist that's got like loads of music that I was sort of listening to, you know, maybe 15 years ago. And so it's like lots of music that I know inside out. And I was like, okay, I've got my happy, happy playlist on of, of old tunes. That's cool. That's ideal for this. But none of it was was downloaded. I should have downloaded it before I left my Wi-Fi. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I checked checked my allowance um, this morning and I've not got a lot left. Uh, so, yeah, all the way over those hills, I was getting bloody good coverage, you know, <laughs> out through the hills uh, because nothing stopped. Everything was running absolutely fine. But meanwhile, all of my data is sort of going, going down the drain on it. <laughs> oh, I know what I meant to tell you. I bought a uh, I bought a controller for the Apple TV last weekend. Oh what like one of the, like um, the game pads. made for iPhone ones. Yeah, yeah. Like the MFI pads. Yeah. Oh cool. I um <laughs> I've sideloaded provenance onto the Apple TV. Have you heard, have you heard, right. have you heard of that? I haven't, no. It's like a an emulator for like all the old school Mega Drive and uh old consoles of years gone by, like the NES and the Snares. I think you can even put N sixty four games on there. Um <laughs> Although I haven't done that yet. I'd be interested to see how the Apple TV copes with playing like GoldenEye or something. But no, it's, it's been oh. really weird, actually. Um, first of all, seeing old sort of Mega Drive games on a 50-inch screen. Because I can tell you they were not designed for a screen that big. <laughs> it looks so no. bad. They look almost like comically bad. So so bad that they almost look good again. <laughs> <laughs> does it bring a whole other side to the Apple TV? Yeah. Having the controller? It really, really does. It really does. I I want to maybe get um like Alto's Adventure and there's a new Alto's game, isn't there? Alto's Odyssey. Yep. I think I've got Badland that I've got somewhere that I could download to the Apple TV. Um, and the controller actually came with Minecraft for the Apple TV. Oh, cool! I didn't realise that was out for the Apple TV. Neither did I. I mean, I was looking at the controllers and they were fifty pounds on the Apple app, the Apple Store app. And yeah. I, I was kind of, it was kind of like a passing thought, and I was like, well. Fifty pounds, yeah. I don't know, maybe not. And then in the Apple Store, you can get the same controller, which is the the Nimbus Steel series, which seems to be like Apple's kind of default controller that they push. I mean, they had them on display in the shop quite yep. prominently, and where the Apple TV 4K was being demoed, they had the Apple TV out on the desk so you could see it. The remote control that comes with it, so again, you can see that. And then they had a Nimbus controller right next to that, so it was almost like they were trying to push all of it as a as a thing. Yeah. But yeah, they did they did that controller with Minecraft for ten pounds off for forty. So I was all like, right. that's pretty cool. I mean, I don't, I don't know what Minecraft's worth. I guess quite. I'm not a bit. sure, but probably at least that that ten pounds off. Ten or fifteen quid, I'd have thought, if you just wanted to buy it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, same controller with the game, ten pounds off. I was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> see how we, Sweet. See how we go. I sort of felt. Um, I do feel like the gaming side of the Apple TV 
um, is something that I would I would love to sort of see pushed a little bit more um, by by Apple. Really, I mean, I don't really know what what more they they can do in terms of they've made the platform available, and you know, it's totally possible to to have a, a game that would play on on the iPhone that can also play on the Apple TV if you sort of think through the controls. Yeah. I think really it's probably not going to be that long. I mean, you look at the advances in GPU and especially in the A series chips. I mean, they're just getting better and better at such a pace. Is it going to be that many more generations before we've got like a an Xbox rival or, or a Switch rival or something? Just in terms of horsepower, it doesn't really feel like it's that far away. Certainly, like I say, certainly at the Switch end of things. Yeah, I mean PS4 Pro maybe not, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly have a compelling experience on an Apple TV. It's just maybe most, it's, maybe a lot of people just don't know that about the whole controller thing. It's another thing you have to kind of, first of all, learn about that it can do. Because I don't think it's obvious when you buy it. If you no, just it's pop, not. If, say if you just like pop down to Curry's or PC World and just pick one up and get get it home, it's not obvious that you can put a controller with this. And then there's such a confusing array of controllers on the market in the fact that Apple don't make one of their own, so you need to kind of navigate this landscape of other controllers. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's there's loads of friction points, isn't there, all the way along? Yeah, there is. You have to be pretty keen to give it a try, I think. And the controllers um, aren't cheap either, really, in the scheme of things. No, I, I don't think they're cheap, even compared to sort of other other consoles. Controllers, which equally their controllers are not cheap, but I don't know. Some of the um, the ones for the Apple TV don't quite look, to my mind, they haven't looked at the same sort of build. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I might be wrong. This Nimbus um, one is pretty good. Cool. It, like the reviews say this is like pretty much like an Xbox controller equivalent in terms of quality and feel, and, and it, is, it is a nice feeling controller, to be fair to it. And it's got like a rechargeable 40-hour battery, and you can plug it into a lightning cable to charge it, so there's no like proprietary charging leads or any rubbish like that. So it, it fits yep. quite nicely into your ecosystem, if you like. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. I think it's uh, going to be quite interesting to see how it kind of opens up the Apple TV a little bit for me. This would be looking out for every game that, that can kind of take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. Mac OS 11. Mm. What do you want to see? Well, there was... Okay, so the reason we're talking about this is because um, there, there was that concept design that, that went round a few days ago. The design itself, I thought, was really quite gorgeous. Sort of looking at... Um, that rounded windows that kind of give that almost almost an iOS feel, actually with 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 a lot of it. Um, but but it managed to nail this sort of crossover between iOS and and macOS. That I thought was really quite endearing. Yeah, um, it's thought, it's interesting, isn't it? When you see a concept, if, if I was to see something like that demoed on stage at WWDC, I'd be like, oh, okay, this looks cool. Almost like a renewed faith that maybe the Mac isn't dead and forgotten after all, kind of thing. It, it, saying it looked like an extension of iOS, just like the design language and the feel of it. As, as yeah. a, like at the moment, the Mac is very much the Mac, isn't it? And it's like the Mac is serious stuff, and that's where you get your work done. And then you've got iOS where you can go off and you know have fun when you're on the go and pretend to be productive if you're that kind of person with an iPad. Um, sorry, Dave. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but if you want to get actual stuff done in a serious computer, then the Mac is the Mac. But I think that design kind of blurred the lines a little bit in in a, in a positive way. 
because obviously yep. it still retains the power that Mac OS has got and is renowned for. Um, but presented it more in what looked to me like a more of a, a playful way, more approachable way. I, I quite like the idea of um, like the windowing to my mind kind of looked, um, it reminded me of the, the sort of um, split apps and the overlay, um, the overlay windowing that you've now got on the iPad um, to some degree. And, and it made me sort of think, well, if I was using that on my Mac, I think I would start to expect to be able to just ping these components around the screen with my finger. I think I would want that sort of touch interactivity with it as well. Okay. Um, which, yeah, that really got me thinking because my wife bought a, a keyboard for her iPad. Um, so it's one of these keyboard cases. The iPad sort of sits in it and it just becomes like a little mini laptop. Um, the iPad is an, an iPad mini. And she bought this because she likes to write and she likes to have something that she can just sort of chuck in her bag and it's there, you know, she can type up some notes and, and they go straight into, I think she's using Scrivener. Um, so it goes st- straight into that and then it's exactly where she wants it to be and then she can fire up the Mac, you know, when she's back at home and download everything and it's it's there as well. Um, as she was testing out this this um, keyboard with with the sort of dock for the iPad and it sat there like a little mini mini um, laptop next to her MacBook Air. It's quite interesting because halfway through sort of playing with the software, she started trying to touch the Mac as well, just sort of absentmindedly. And I sort of found myself looking and thinking, well, do you know what? If the OS supported it in the right way, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world at all. I think it's interesting what you brought up though about window management in like the broad sense because that's kind of one of the things I jotted down as some thoughts um, I think if there were to be like a Mac OS 11 or whatever it ends up being called um, I think window management is something I, I would look to as an area for improvement because I've, al- I've always found window management a little bit lacking on Mac OS if I'm being perfectly honest um, the biggest thing for me is if you have an app Let's use Xcode as the example. If you've got an, an app like Xcode um, that has multiple windows, so let's say you've got four projects open, yeah, um, I find it quite hard sometimes to to drill down to the exact window that I want to get to quickly. So if I've got four projects open and I'm working on project number one, and then I click away to Safari, and then I click back on the Xcode dock icon, it's going to bring back project number one as like the the window that appears, right? Yeah. But if I want to get to project number three and I'm somewhere else... You can't else, tab into it. I can't tab into it. It's like it's hidden. It's like the only thing that yep. the icon will expose is like the, the window that's last active. And I, I know you could get into it through Expose. Like if you, in my case, I've got it set up. So if I swipe with like three or four fingers down on the touchpad, it will expose just the windows of the app that I'm in. So I could just get right. the Xcode windows appear. Then I could like go into one. But that's a little bit cumbersome, I find. It doesn't feel natural. No, and then you've got like the animation time that it takes for the windows to all fly around, and then you've got all these smaller versions of Xcode that are displayed in like Expose. But the trouble is, they all look the same because they're all Xcode. So it's quite hard. <laughs> it's quite hard at a glance to think uh, which one's the right one I want again. So then you end up having to look for like the the labels that go along with them to try and work out what's going on. 
So I, f- I find that a little bit odd. I think a good solution um, is almost the way Windows 7 did it all those years ago. Do you remember how, um, let's say you had a Chrome icon in the, uh, uh, what's it called? It's not the dock. Is it the taskbar in Windows? Uh, Crikey, you can tell how long ago so. I'm not since sure I use Windows. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, if you hover over Chrome and say you've got four Chrome windows open, once you hover over the icon, you'll get a little pop-up above it with four windows with little graphical previews and you know, titles of what's going on. So and, and it's not like you had to wait and hover for a second for it to come up. Basically, as soon as you hovered, this little thing would slide up and you could be like, okay, bang, and then you're there. Wouldn't be the worst idea in the world, I don't think, for something like that with macOS. Yeah, I think on Windows it's kind of like a sort of, um, is it window grouping or something like that? Yeah, um, it's been so long. <laughs> but yeah, I think that coupled with what you were saying about snapping, um, that for the most part I think would solve a lot of my window management issues with macOS. So like you say, if you wanted to have four windows sort of taking up a quarter each, if you could just sort of go snap, 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 um, without needing to go full screen. And again, having some kind of previews through the dock via the app icon, that'd be that'd be a nice solution, I think, for me. I could see that working. And and I think, as you said there before, though, not necessarily full screen. There there are there are some times where where having something running full screen just doesn't really work. It's not what you're after. Mm. And and you know, the beauty of having a windowing environment that is not it's not like iOS where things are, are dominating the whole screen is that you can have these things side by side and size them as, as you want. So I, I still, I would still want that from my different applications and their different windows. But like you say, I would quite like to be able to sensibly snap them um, in a fashion that feels natural in, in some way. And I'm not sure how that, that needs to be. Um, but if I look at my screen now, I've got, Windows on top of Windows, and it's a mess, to be honest with you. Um, I probably should be running everything full screen, because I may as well, actually, with the way some of them are are overlapping. But nevertheless, I like having the ability to put things side by side any way I I want them to. It's something that I expect expect from my Mac. Yeah, and I think just snapping in general is quite nice, because it's not the OS forcing your hand in the way that full screen does like full screen is full screen and that's the end of it whereas yep. guides is like the OS is just gently nudging you to maybe arrange your windows a little bit better if you want to yeah so I think that's to me that's where like a desktop OS should be it shouldn't be like prescribing these these kind of paradigms that you must follow it's like this is here and I'm kind of giving you a little wave and a nudge to be like I'm here if you want me but if you just want to carry on, you know, being an animal with like 50 windows overlaid in one desktop, that's fine too. <laughs> but, you know, I'm here with the whole snapping guide if you want me, which is yeah. Yeah, where I think that kind of thing should be. iPad, not so much. I think the iPad needs to be a lot stricter. In the, yes. We're either full screen yeah, or we're half screen or we've slid, you know, slid over or, or whatever. Um, I don't think there's enough real estate on the iPad to, to really be sort of messing around too much. No, and then I've certainly not felt like that with mine. Yeah, and you've also got to consider the user base as well. A lot of people that I know that use iPads would not like a, a desktop computer because of its complexity. So I think uh, there's, there's yeah. a, a duty on the iPad to almost remain simple for, for its user base, I think. I think so. Although, I don't know, this is um, this is something I've been thinking of a lot lately as well, is that if we're reaching a point of kind of 
um, almost convergence between the iPad and the Mac um, if applications are able to cross over. You know, we've been talking about Marzipan and what that might mean for apps on, on Mac OS. I think one of the big big things within that side of stuff for me is the possibility that I could have um, an app that is running on the iPad and is really nice to use there, but then equally I can go over to the Mac and I've got, got the same app running there. Um, and it's got me to sort of thinking, well, okay, is there going to be a point in that sort of an ecosystem where I just want the the iPad to behave like the Mac? You know, if we have a, a, um, a windering environment that is updated for, for the Mac and it becomes much more kind of almost almost touch-like or built with a sort of new design language that, that sort of supports snapping or, or whatever else, after a point, is it going to be that scenario in the same way as my wife sort of reaching out to touch her, her MacBook Air after having the iPad sort of sat next to it? Am I going to go back to the, the iPad and kind of want it to behave? mac-like or at least whatever this this sort of new mac kind of feeling could be um and it, also i wonder sort of down the line is there really going to be the need for that sort of division is, is is there will there be a possibility that i could sort of put the the ipad into pro mode or developer mode or whatever and unleash a load of sort of mac os style functionality yeah honestly i can't see them doing that i yeah, I don't know. I think I think Apple are very um, hard to move in that sense. I think they've almost committed to the Mac being the Mac and the iPad being the iPad. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I don't. I think convergence is something they would shy away from. Um, it seems like they certainly have done to this point quite strongly. Anyway, I mean, there's been public statements made being about you know like about making these sort of touchscreen laptops. And I think Tim Cook once said something like that would be like putting a toaster inside a fridge or something like that. Um, yeah. Never say never, though, I suppose. They, you know, we could get a WWDC no. one year where we're just like, whoa, we didn't see that coming. Um, yeah, or they go, you know, hey, guys, problem solved. You yeah. Know, we, we, we're bringing touch to the Mac or whatever because we found a way that's doing of doing it that is beautiful. Yeah, that's not like all these other ways that have been doing it wrong for years. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing maybe wouldn't surprise me so much. Um, and I don't don't think this is just me kind of wanting to wish my my iPad into greater productivity though. Um, although there's perhaps an element of that that there. Um, and I think for me, just having more more productive apps on the iPad would be be enough. I mean, one th- one thing I'd like to see um, improved with the new version of macOS would be sort of the installation and uninstallation of apps. Um, I was thinking back yesterday to um, to when I first got my my first Mac. When that in two thousand and seven, and that was like the white sort of MacBook plastic one. And yep. I, I remember when I first got it, I went to install an app, and I was it just a little bit odd because some apps you would have uh, almost like a wizard installer like Windows, and it would yep. you know, go through the steps, app installed, and then the apps in your applications folder, and that makes sense. Whereas some other ones you'd get like a strip back finder window that would load up. And then you have to drag an icon into like an applications folder icon within that finder window. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, that's one way of doing it. But it just felt strange. 
Um, and then you've got then you've got the App Store now as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so there's three ways of getting apps onto your Mac. Um, and that's before we think about uninstallation, which again, when I first started doing it, um, I wanted to get rid of an app when I first got one of my Mac, uh, my first Mac, and I was like, well, how how do I do it? Because I went into system preferences looking for like the uh, programs and applications things like you would in Windows where you look through them all and click remove. Um, yeah, it wasn't there. I was like, oh, how, how do I get rid of a, an app? And I Googled it and it's like, just drag it into the trash. And I was like, wow, what a brilliant idea. How cool is that? Just put it in the bin, empty the bin, gone. But you know how it is with like macOS sort of apps can litter things over the file system. So not everything gets deleted when you remove an app. Um, yep. I seem to remember downloading an app. I think it's called like Apps App or something like that. I remember like the icon was like this ray gun thing. And when you clicked on the app, <laughs> you got some like ray gun noise because apparently it was going through and actually deleting the app so yeah i think uninstallation could be could be made a little bit clearer as well and more more complete put it that way um i think um i think you might get that if there's you would get that if things were were purely being driven by the app store yeah well this is what this is where my thinking kind of went is that maybe maybe this that would be the way to go if everything went via the app store and as, as a developer, that made me feel instantly really quite nervous um, because then you've got the whole sandboxing thing to contend with. And I know there's been a lot of horror stories with some developers having sandboxing issues with their apps. I think Panic um, had it with Coda, I believe. Um, and then they had to sort of come away from the Mac App Store and run their own syncing service as a result. Um and again, you're kind of putting a lot of power into Apple's hands. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're going to be giving them the 30% of each Mac app sale and we're going to have all the issues that the current app store currently has. The biggest of which, for me right now, is no free no free trials, no upgrade pricing. Um, yeah, so, so, so you've got that. all of that from, from the sort of business and app development side of stuff. Yeah, but then that could be a blessing in disguise in a way if, if like a Mac app store were to be the only solution to get apps onto your Mac, which yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that ended up being the case. I mean, do you remember that rumour from about a year ago that we spoke about? Yep. Um, that, that that had massive shades of marzipan inside of it. It did, didn't it? Think about what it was, yeah. Um, so it seems like this is all like one narrative that's rolling along and it's kind of like starting to make more sense. And it wouldn't surprise me if that is like, you know, a marzipan uh, style thing that comes out with a new version of Mac OS and you can only get stuff on your Mac through the app store. Um, and if that were to be the case, like I say, it could be a blessing in disguise because then with all of that, um, with that being the case, maybe this could be the push that Apple needs to start adding this kind of stuff. Cause Mac apps are quite often a lot more money. They're a lot more involved and trials are quite common. So yes. maybe that would force Apple's hand to be like, okay guys, here's your trials. We understand why you need them now. And if you're going to have them on macOS, maybe we'll just roll out to the iOS app store as well. Yeah. Um, so you never know. So it I have a, I have a theory. Out. Yeah, go on. I have a theory, um, and I think that if Marzipan is is you know coming this year, and when it arrives, and if it's in the sort of form that I'm hoping it is, which is essentially in this kind of almost uh, UI kit on the Mac kind of form, 
which would make it really, really brilliant for me to sort of develop for one platform and kind of roll out to, you know, to iPad and to, to Mac. Um, if that is what we're getting, then I think those apps that use that framework may only be allowed um, to be distributed through the App Store. I can imagine the sort of the deal with the framework and the way it gets signed. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe that's the hook. And if you want to do your own thing, yeah, you still can, and you can still sell off of the App Store. But yeah, kind of. But, but it's but you'd be doing app kit apps. Yeah, if you, you want those those apps to exist outside of the App Store. As a developer, you wouldn't have the latest and greatest. Yep. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense, I think. And that is almost like a peace offering as well, isn't it? Because if they were to go 100% down the marzipan slash Mac App Store route, um, that's going to cause a lot of pain for a lot of people, users and developers. So it's kind of like, yeah, this is the future, this is where we're going, Mac App Store only. But if you want to do the stuff you've been doing for you know ages, you can still carry on, but it's kind of not with our blessing so much anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think this next version of Mac OS, like the whatever is coming out later this year, um, is going to be very much a kind of transitionary uh, form of the, the OS. It's been pitched as being um, a sort of period of reflection and kind of refinement. There's all of that that kind of chatter about them, sort of focusing on bug fixes and then it sort of seems like marzipan is the only other sort of new kind of thing that's coming with it. But I actually think this is, this is the sort of um, it's the bridge between where Mac OS has been and where it is going. And that, that design that we saw that, that, that kind of imagined version of, of sort of Mac OS 11, I think there may well be something like that brewing, but if it is, that's that's what we're getting in 2019. That's what we're getting maybe in 2020. And it's it's the beginnings of that, the sort of seeds of that are going to come in what we get this year. I don't think it's going to be an immediate boom. Here it is, guys. You know, it's, it's going to be a sort of series of these things that then add up and then it's kind of like a sort of softer boom in terms of all the sort of, um, all the planks have been laid out. You know, you've got apps that are using this new new framework or whatever that that um, lets you sort of build for iOS and macOS, and they they've then already been around for a year or two. And you know, maybe some of the the, the harder decisions in terms of what sort of apps are allowed to run on the platform and that sort of stuff will sort of feel less harsh because you, you've got people already halfway over that line as well. Almost like removing the headphone jack on the iPhone Seven, so that the iPhone, the iPhone, well, you know, the iPhone Seven basically took a lot of the flack for that. Yes. And then when the iPhone Eight and Ten came out, we'd forgotten all about it, and it was like, well, it doesn't matter. There's no headphone jack. We're just exactly the world had moved on. Yeah, the com- the conversation was completely different, and that would make yeah. sense. So, like, if Marzipan was to come out this year, and we get angry at the current, what we see is the current Mac OS with Marzipan bolted onto it, by the time mac os 11 let's call it comes out we'd have gotten over all of that stuff all all the growing pains well not all of them but a lot of the growing pains we'd have gotten used to the thing as a concept as a whole and vented all of our anger so that yeah. when mac os 11 comes out we're not angry at mac os 11 you know it's like we we get it now it's it, you know we're, we're kind of over yeah. it yeah that period where you might have sort of two competing um design languages and user experiences as well which is is perhaps what 
marzipan might bring yep um that period of time will sort of live and and die with whatever with with this year's version of mac os and don't forget that marzipan let's say um, os 11 comes in 2019 or 2020 even um marzipan's going to be that much older and that much more mature by that point anyway yes so by the time that the new flagship os is ready to to release marzipan that's coming along with it is a heck of a lot stronger than it's going to be this year if it comes out this year and as, as we move through the year so exactly you'll, you'll have those sort of first first lessons learned kind of thing yeah exactly no it makes sense it's like almost like the stars are aligning somehow isn't it I hope so. I, uh, the, the hope for me is that this sort of reinvigorates the Mac, and there's a hope there as a developer that it sort of makes Mac developer development just that little bit more viable to me. Um, as an iOS developer, that is. Yeah, well, it's a very selfish kind of hope, but <laughs> I'm thinking very much the same. I mean, probably not ready to discuss it publicly yet, but we've chatted a bit about an app idea I've got him, you know, sort of offline and. Uh, yeah, marzipan would be pretty handy <laughs> if uh, <laughs> if they could just uh, come out with it. That that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and and the same for me though as well. I, I I would love to be sort of spending a bit of time sprucing up my my video mixing app um, and kind of looking at, at making Go VJ Pro. But right now, times at, at quite a premium, and I, I can foresee that there'll be a point in the future where I do sort of get my head down and and, and start doing that. But it would be so much nicer if I if I can sort of focus on just making it for the iPad and the Mac, and and kind of forget about the phone at that point because the type of software that it is, um, you would really benefit from having the larger screen. And if I can sort of think, well, okay, I'm not just trying to sell it to the iPad, but I can also sell it to the Mac, then that means I'll feel sort of less worried about whether I'll have a user base out there. And one of the reasons that GoVJ at the moment works on the the iPhone and the iPad is because I didn't want to um, cut my market too short. I sort of figured, you know, if I'm only on the iPad, then that's like so much less than than, than being able to cover the iPhone as well. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm hopeful for it because it sort of means I can go back to my sort of uh, passion project or whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, but with with sort of renewed vigor, you know, I can can go back and kind of make the software that um, that I will want to play with and use, and and kind of be able to do that on on more than one platform as well. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes, or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also we have our slack channel we'd love to invite you to join our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out if you'd like to join uh, just leave us a message on twitter at wfr podcast and we'll get you signed up so dave before we run off where can people find you you can find me on twitter at dw roboheads that's robohead spelled with a z and you can find my apps at roboheads.com again that's robohead spelled with a z how about you dave yeah, you can find my remote control for Cody at armchair-remote.com, my latest app to help kids learn to read. You can find at spacereaders.com and on Twitter, I'm at underscore Dave Knott. 